Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here is what's on the podcast today. The federal government is giving provinces $2 billion for schools, plus Andrea Horvath. All of that is coming up. Let's get to it. Well, now I feel better. $2 billion bucks right there. I don't know about the rest of you parents out there. Everything's dealt with now, right? Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. As you heard right here on this radio station just shortly ago, unveiling some of the some only some of the details of a two billion dollar cash infusion to the provinces to help with school reopening, I kind of thought that for the introduction, maybe the prime minister should have had David Lee Roth introduce him and just say, "I don't feel tardy." I don't know if he's hot for teacher or not, but he sure is a little on the tardy side. Remember when you were in school, maybe you had one of those good, uh, those nice uh, teachers who could who would say to you, you know, as long as you get it in by the end of the semester. Just, you know what, I know it's late, but just hand it in before school's out and I'll give you something for it. Just, just do the work. Is, is that what the Prime Minister is hoping here? Because I don't know if you've looked at the calendar, folks. Folks. But we're pretty much right here on September. We're ready to go. And here's the Prime Minister with $2 billion. Now, what does that mean for parents? And what's the politics behind it? I'm going to dig into this, and I'm going to be all over it. Let's get to the main announcement. Here's Justin Trudeau. That's why today I can announce that the federal government is investing up to $2 billion in school safety for the coming year. This money, which will flow through the new Safe Return to Class Fund, will help keep students and teachers safe as schools reopen. Our children must always be our top priority as parents and as governments. Once people know their kids are safe, they can get back to work with less worries. Education is, of course, a provincial jurisdiction, and I told the premiers yesterday that we absolutely respect that. What we're announcing today is designed to support provinces and territories in the best way possible. That is Justin Trudeau in his announcement just a little while ago here in Toronto, announcing $2 billion. Of that $2 billion, Ontario will get $763 million. But keep in mind, Doug Ford, Justin Trudeau will respect you still even after you get the money. The respect is there because, as the Prime Minister points out, education is entirely, 100%, is entirely a provincial jurisdiction. What is going on here? We're going to get into that. Let me get into the money here real quick before I get into the politics of it. So of that 763, the province gets an initial installment of $381 million. Uh, And according to the provincial government, the Ford government putting out a press release just as the prime minister was actually speaking, saying pending federal approvals in December, the Ministry of Education will announce the second half of the payment later this year for the remainder of the school year. So up front, 381, 763 all together. And in the press release that the Ford government has put out, let's see what do we got here. We got 
health and safety money. We got money for uh, driver retention program for student transportation. That's bus drivers. Uh, route protection helped reduce the number of students on buses. You heard a lot about that yesterday. As school bus drivers were saying, "Hey, what about us? Let's pay attention. We got we got two and a half classes full of kids. You know, worth of kids here on this little bus. We got to do something about that." So all of that money right there, three hundred and eighty-one million dollars. What? Why? Why now? I don't. You might not feel tardy, Justin Trudeau, but you. It, this all seems a little late to the party, does it not? Here's what's going on. Whether or not the money is welcome, needed, a good idea, let's take that off the table because sometimes those things can work in tandem and sometimes opposing the political motivations. But in this case, it looks like it's intended. But the political motivation here is pretty clear. The Trudeau government is heading towards a new speech from the throne, uh, which is a confidence vote. And where are the votes in this country? Well, they're in a couple of places. Majority of them are right here in the suburban ring around Toronto. So in the Haltons, in the Durhams, in all of those areas, Quebec too, obviously. Quebec is a lot of writings there too. But you know, elections are largely won and lost in the 905 and the ring around the 416. And the prime minister said a number of times today when asked about this, was like, what are you, where are you, what are you, what are you doing here? Is that he'd been hearing from his MPs that parents are upset. In other words, you want to go to the polls, Aaron O'Toole? You want to go to the polls, Jagmeet Singh? Well, how's about I just rode in here and saved the school year? How about you want to go against that? This is designed here to shore up the popularity of the federal liberal government so that they can come in with the money and still say, oh, but no, it's the province. It's still up to the province to implement it. So therefore, you get the white knight factor here. You ride in, you, you know, you're throwing cash around, but how it actually gets implemented on the ground, if there are problems, you know, if the unions still don't like it or the school bus drivers still say, this is not enough, I don't have enough PPE, well, that's that's not Justin Trudeau's fault. Can't, don't, don't ask him about it. What about all of this timing? It's weird because just prior to the Prime Minister speaking, Jagmeet Singh, the federal NDP leader, was also in Toronto giving a speech. And he was asked, what what gives? Why are you talking at a school in Toronto right before the Prime Minister comes along with this big announcement? What gives? And a couple hours after our announcement, the government announced that they were going to actually make the funding happen. So one of the things that I guess the takeaway is that I should probably do more press conferences like these because <laughs> we get announcements uh, towards the funding that we know we need. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, we don't know what the government's going to announce exactly. So I, I hope the prime minister is hearing us loud and clear that what, what's being asked for by the province, uh, by Mart Stiles as the education critic on the ground, by Jennifer Story, school board trustee, is that there is, uh, there is a real need to see dollars for, uh, that are tied to schools being safer. And specifically what the healthcare experts and what the school experts are saying, classroom sizes. Hey, kid in the background, can you keep it down? Thank you.
That was Jugbeen Singh speaking in Toronto this morning, talking about what he had hoped the Prime Minister would announce, which is a correlation between the money and specifically class sizes, because really that, especially in Ontario, that's what it comes down to. That's the main concern for all of us, especially with kids, anywhere from JK right up to eight. You know, high school seems to be a, a separate thing. That's The cohorts seem to be working there, but you know, K to eight, that's where the concern is, especially if you're spending your, sending your kid to class, and you know, well, in the before times, there were 30 kids in that class, and right now the plan is there's still going to be 30 kids in that class. But when asked about it, the Prime Minister said that he would not commit to tying the money that he is pledging to classroom size reduction. Because, again, we go back to, hey, it's up to you, province. It's not my, not my deal. I'm just here with the cash. I'm just here to look good, is what I'm here to do. What about this timing? You heard Jugmeet talking about Merritt Stiles, who is the education critic for the Ontario NDP. Here is Merritt Stiles. Here we are with a week and a half to go. Uh, We know that the Toronto District School Board trustee behind me, uh, Jennifer Story, brought forward a motion in July demanding that that the federal government come through, that the provincial government work together with the federal government to come up with a plan. Uh, we know we've seen federal dollars here in Ontario go, we don't know where. Uh, we're, it, this is a desperate moment now for many families. They're making tough decisions. That is Merritt Stiles speaking this morning at an NDP news conference in Toronto. And coming up later on in the program, Andrea Horvath, the leader of the Ontario NDP, will join me to talk further about what uh, the Premier had to say about that new advertising campaign to tell you all about Ontario's absolutely fantastic back-to-school plan, the one that relies on the experts, except for the experts said keep the class sizes low, and that's not really what we're doing. But you heard Merritt Stiles talk about Jennifer Story. She is with the TDSB. And here is Jennifer Story talking about the delay in actually getting something done on this file. If we had had a plan in July that was principled and focused and well-resourced, we could have all of that done right now and be really confident we built the best possible system. Instead, school boards are left scrambling at the 11th hour to try and put all the pieces together. And people are working around the clock to do that. And um, that's that's what we're here to do. Uh, But it's disappointing. That is Jennifer Story with the TDSB. It is disappointing. It is not lost on me, of course, that there are politics at play on both sides. And if there are politics at play for the federal liberals, there are politics at play for the federal and Ontario NDP. And they are trying to make some hay here and gain some political points by, you know, raising these issues. That does not take away from the accuracy of what is being said. Because as a parent, I don't understand why it is that we're at August 26th and we don't have a plan. Like somehow, like, whoa, hey, what do you know? School's just around the corner. Like like you're in, like you're in grade four and your dad tells you, you know, next weekend is Labor Day and after that you go back to school. What? When did that? Who? I didn't know. It, that, it has that feel to it, does it not? 
Coming up on the program, I am going to ask Andrea Horvath how she would have done it differently, because I think that's important. You know, when you have all the criticism, it's easy in some ways to be in opposition. You just fire in the missiles and throw the stones. And what's your idea? How would you have done it? any differently. When we come back, I am going to play for you something that Doug Ford said yesterday that just, I don't know, made my head go right round. Welcome back to the program. The big news today, of course, is the announcement of $2 billion in funding to help uh, back-to-school programs. That's coming from the federal government. That's to help to get the kids back to class safely, and Ontario will get a share of that uh, based on population, based on the number of students. That's $763 million coming to Ontario, $381 million of that will flow pretty much immediately, and the rest will be held Uh, until December when the federal government will require the provinces to show how the money was spent. We can spend it, or the provincial government can spend it how it sees fit, because education is a provincial jurisdiction, but after that, then the rest of the money comes. That's how that money will flow. One of the other controversies about the Ontario back-to-school program is based on advertising and what the Ontario government has done as bought a bunch of Uh, radio and paper ads, online ads as well, kind of outlining what the back-to-school program is, even though it still is changing. Here we have new money for it. But there was much made about this at the press conference with the Premier yesterday. By the way, I just got to mention that coming up today at 1 o'clock, along with the Minister of Education, the Premier, Dr. David Williams, well, that'll, that'll be illuminating, we also have Ontario's chief coroner. And when I read that this morning, I thought, well, that's, that doesn't sound good. Oh, we're going to talk about the back-to-school program. Hey, kids, it's the coroner! <laughs> what? Uh, the reality is, when we checked in, the Ford's office basically said, stop spinning this! Don't do that! The coroner was actually involved in putting together Ontario's new testing policy, so that is why the coroner is at the press conference today at 1 o'clock. But nevertheless, hey kids, it's the coroner! Hooray! Let's get back to those advertisements. Yesterday, when pressed on this, Doug Ford said, look, it's important to communicate with parents, which is what all governments say when they're criticized for spending taxpayer money on any kind of advertisement. Uh, and, you know, and I kind of want to take that off the table a little bit because, really, they all do it, and then the, whenever they're in opposition, they complain about it. So I think it's you know zero-sum here. Forget about it. Forget about it. Just move along. But then, then Doug Ford when asked about it, says, well, it's a little Alanis Morissette, don't you think? Imagine if we didn't have any ads and no one knew what was going on. That'd be terrible. We, we have to. And that's the same with the federal government, municipal government. So all three levels of government are uh, running ads, and I encourage it. Matter of fact, I find it ironic because we're spending tons of media money with the, the media, which they're in desperate need of because so many people pulled back their advertising, and a lot of media outlets thanked us, and especially in the ethnic media as well, about uh, putting money in, in advertising. I think it's absolutely critical, and we're going to continue doing it. It's like rain 
on your wedding day. Isn't it ironic? I'm sorry, what? Pardon me, Premier? Are you suggesting that by purchasing ad time, by purchasing ad space in newspapers and on the radio, that that should have an influence on the questions that your government faces? Hey, listen, we advertise with you guys. Go easy. That's, you know, that's not supposed to be the way the free and unfettered press works. That's not. And if you value, if you value an open society, I would suggest that you would want journalists asking hard questions regardless how much money the government spends on their TV station or their radio station. Speaking of buying ads, there's this report that has just come out from the Canadian Association of Broadcasters, of which this station is a member. And man, is this thing scary. It warns that as many as 40 local TV outlets and up to 200 radio stations could be forced to close in the next three years. And it says AM radio stations and independent private radio and TV operations in small markets across this country are the most vulnerable to pandemic-related financial pressures. The CAB, that's the Canadian Association of Broadcasters, wants the federal broadcast regulator and the federal government to take action. Okay. You know, I don't have a ton of time for journalists. I think journalists, we do a terrible job sometimes about communicating, you know, how important the role of journalism is in society. We can, and we tend to be kind of high and mighty about it, and I'm probably totally guilty of it. But the fact is that, you know, without a free and unfettered press, what, what kind of democracy do you actually have? So here's a good question then for the newly elected conservative leader, Aaron O'Toole. What would you do, Aaron O'Toole, if you were to form government? What would you do about the media landscape? Here is Mr. O'Toole speaking on our sister station, CKNW, in Vancouver. Well, it, it is a bit perverse that the private media world has been in trouble before covid uh, talk radio does well because you've got a lot of people captured in their car in the lower mainland. So you guys have been doing much better than private sector print and other other means. Justin Trudeau was putting hundreds of millions of dollars more into the state broadcaster who was competing with you for advertising dollars. And I don't think that's fair, particularly in the digital age that we're in. So uh, I've said it's time to reform and modernize. And that means taking the state subsidy out of certain areas of of the media in CBC, English, television, and namely, and and digital, stealing all the digital ads. I think that will help broadcasters. That is Aaron O'Toole speaking on our sister station, CKNW, in Vancouver. Hence the uh, the reference to the Lower Mainland. And that is going to sound pretty good to a lot of private broadcasters across this country, and many private broadcasters who wonder, well, wait, why is it that taxpayer dollars are going to compete against private interest? You know, for example, in Toronto, you have a a local CBC Supper Hour newscast. Uh, And, you know, it's staffed by great journalists, and they do great work. But why is it that 
that exists with federal funding when there are three private entities doing precisely the same thing, including Global News? Would that money not be better spent serving communities across this country that don't have the population base to support that kind of private enterprise? Would that not be a better idea? Unrest continuing overnight in the streets of Wisconsin in Kenosha. Authorities say two people were shot to death. Another person was wounded during a third night of protests over the police shooting of a black man, Jacob Blake. Uh, Meanwhile, the Toronto Raptors, with some very strong statements uh, yesterday and again today, uh, talking about even the possibility that uh, players have discussed the possibility of boycotting Thursday's Game 1 against the Boston Celtics. I want to play for you. These are some very strong clips from the Raptors players. Here is Fred Van Vliet and Norman Powell. Coming down here, making a choice to play, um, you know, it was supposed to not be in vain, but it's just starting to feel like everything we're doing is is just going through the motions and nothing's really changing. I'm frustrated, honestly. Um, I'm disappointed. I'm pretty tired and sick to my stomach to have to sit up here and talk about this again and continue this long fight that we've been fighting um, since day one, you know, of slavery. That is Norman Powell, and before that, Fred Van Fleet speaking yesterday. Norman Powell also saying that it seems like the term Black Lives Matter is just sort of everywhere now and that it has become somewhat meaningless. Players saying that taking a knee obviously isn't getting it done. It's not enough. So there may be more questions, or there will be more questions today, and Nick Nurse saying just just a few short minutes ago that this has been discussed amongst the players, the possibility of a boycott. But let's talk further about the issue at hand and how the shooting of Jacob Blake is reverberating across the border here in our city as well. And for that, I'm pleased to welcome back to the program Global News reporter Camille Caramali. Hey, Camille. Uh, Hey, Alan. Yeah, that's actually the first time I'm hearing uh, the comments from Fred Van and uh, he just sounds so defeated and just, you know, so heartbroken. And I think that uh, is a good snapshot of how the black community here is feeling. I just finished an interview with a black criminal lawyer, Christian Levine. And, you know, we know we now know that the family of Jacob Blake is planning on suing the police force uh, in relation to the shooting. And uh, he says they have a very good case just based on the two camera angles that we do see in that shooting. Um, meanwhile, also, you know, uh, I did have a chance to speak and interview with uh, a couple of family members uh, of shooting victims, black uh, shooting victims here in the GTA. There was a barbecue on Sunday uh, where families of Regis Kurchinsky Paquette and uh, DeAndre Campbell as well as Jamal Francique, those, uh, especially those two males, were shot by Peel police earlier this year. And uh, they're absolutely heartbroken, and uh, they, they say this just resonates and, and hits really, really close to home because uh, they even broke down on the phone with me. They just are feeling this. Uh, it, it reminds them of what happened to their children, their sons. And so it's just, uh, you know, it's across the border, but, man, is it ever hitting the black community here hard. 
It must be so triggering for those families. And as you mentioned those names, it is important to keep those names center in our minds as we watch what happens south of the border because all too often we are smug in this country and believe somehow that the issues that we see there are not the issues that exist here. Absolutely. And and that was the messaging really at this barbecue on Sunday. I mean, this is, uh, you know, uh, before the knowledge uh, from these families of, of what happened to Jacob Blake. But, uh, you know, they have just been calling out for justice. I mean, with the Francique family, uh, Jamal Francique was shot in the back of the head, according to the family, by Peel police in January 7th. And they still haven't gotten any answers from the SIU. And Alan, you and I have watched SIU uh, press conferences time and time again, and they just give one word or one sentence answers. So it's frustrating for us when we get no answers. I can't even imagine what the families are feeling. And then also, you know, DeAndre Campbell, what happened to him in early spring uh, related to appeal shooting as well. Uh, you know, they came together to find solace and, and comfort in each other's arms, including the family of Regis Korczynski Paquette. But also, uh, you know, it just might, must be so frustrating. They, they were sort of talking to each other about how they're getting no answers. And, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're right. Across the border, we're seeing um, the same issue take place. Uh, hopefully, you know, the family of Jacob Blake gets, gets answers sooner than what we've seen up here. Yeah, and, you know, I, I've spoken with family members of Ijaz Chaudhry. I know that's a case that you've covered as well. And, you know, we talk about the SIU with the, the family of Ijaz Chaudhry, and they say, well, we have absolutely no confidence whatsoever in the SIU. And even though you have mayors from the mayor of Toronto, the mayor of Brampton, the mayor of Mississauga, all urging the SIU to act faster, and the fact of the matter is blaming the SIU as I often say, is that that's a dead end because the SIU is a creation of the provincial government. The buck stops with Doug Ford and the Doug Ford government. If we want reform in the way that we have oversight of police and the kind of information that families can get in a timely matter, the Ford government needs to act and they need to act now. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, and, you know, this might be a turning point. I mean, we're seeing so much change happen south of the border and, and increasing pressure happening down there. And the frustration is really seeping up to up here with Ijaz Chaudhry. I mean, they've been, uh, their families and that community has been holding rallies and, and trying to make sure the public doesn't forget about Mr. Chaudhry. Uh, and these families uh, related to Campbell and Francique and, and Korczynski Paquette have also been doing the same thing. And now they're coming together and obviously strength in numbers, right? This barbecue is really something I've never seen before. We've covered these stories separately, interviewed, you know, grieving families separately. But uh, this barbecue on Sunday that they were holding, man, oh, man, I'll tell you, I've never seen such a, a drive for change because they all were gaining strength from one another. And, and we're seeing these rallies and protests take place down south as well. And so it looks like you know, that, that strength in numbers uh, mantra is really, really coming together both south of the border and up here. Kamel Karamali, always great to talk to you. I appreciate you being on the program today. Thanks for your time, Alan. And, and I will mention that if you didn't see it yesterday, very powerful, powerful statements by the mother of Jacob Blake, that is the man who was shot uh, in Wisconsin, in Kenosha, saying that he would not be pleased with the civil disobedience and the civil disorder 
and the protests and the destruction of property that he had that had been going on. And that was prior to last night's tragic events where at least two people have lost their lives. Welcome back to the program of the big news today. Of course, $2 billion in federal money for back to school right across the province, right across the country, pardon me. In terms of the provincial breakdown, let's get you to the numbers and how it's going to work. It uh, is split up according to the number of students per province. That's how you get the work out the share that Ontario gets. Ontario will get $763 million, an initial installment of $381 million to begin, and then the province has to show how it spent the money. The province can decide how it will spend the money, but the province then shows this is how we spend it, and that unlocks the further installment for the second half of the year. The board chair for the TDSB just saying that they're not exactly sure, the board is not exactly sure, what the money will go towards specifically, but he knows the money will help make schools safer, and he's looking forward to getting the breakdown from the provincial government. Stephen Del Duca, the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, tweeting, Today's announcement from the Prime Minister is welcome. Doug Ford has dropped the ball on investing in a safe reopening of schools, which is why the federal government has been forced to step in. Let's get the perspective from the Ontario NDP. I am pleased to welcome back to the program the leader of the Ontario NDP, Andrea Horvath. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm well. Let's get your reaction to the federal announcement this morning. Uh, well, I mean, there's there's no doubt that uh, every penny is welcome, uh, but it's pretty late in the game, and parents are as confused now as they were uh, when all of this uh, conversation started happening weeks and weeks ago, and they're in a situation where they're still uncomfortable with the kind of choices they have to make uh, about sending their kids back to school or keeping them home. And, uh, and again, this is because Mr. Ford has not, uh, you know, been stepping up to the plate. He put together a bargain basement scheme, and uh, as I said, this will be perhaps helpful. But I don't see Ford government uh, at all indicating that this is going to hire more teachers uh, and bring more classroom spaces online to be able to safely distance the kids. Jagmeet Singh, the uh, federal leader, uh, was in Toronto speaking just prior to the prime minister and said that he wanted to see the money tied to the reducing of classroom sizes. But really, the federal government, it can't tell what the, pro- the province what to do with the money, or should it? Uh, well, I mean, I think that it's it's clear that uh, the different provinces are are you know deciding to do things differently, um, and and uh, unfortunately, in our province, Mr. Ford uh, has not shown uh, that he's willing to, um, to to do that distancing that's necessary. I mean, we all know the RNAO just came out the other day, and yet another uh, expert health opinion saying that those classroom sizes have to be down to 15 kids per. Uh, uh, per class. And, you know, again, this money uh, might help with that effort, except that Mr. Ford hasn't identified that that's where it's going to go uh, and hasn't identified either, but he's prepared to chip in more Ontario resources uh, to make sure there's a safe return in September. Just to give you a perspective on the money for our listeners, uh, as I mentioned, $763 million over the whole school year for Ontario. The TDSB, just the TDSB, obviously it's the largest, but it, the TDSB it says it would take $250 million to get elementary down to 15 per 
uh, classroom. So really, this money on its own isn't going to get it done across the board. No, it's not going to get the job done. And uh, and as I said, I mean, even just this morning, I, I met with parents and uh, and educators who are, are just having to make uh, choices that they shouldn't have to make. Uh, and this is uh, this is because Mr. Ford's pinching pennies uh, on the backs of our kids again, uh, our children in schools, and that's uh, that's just not good enough. And we know that the schools need more resources for things like HVAC, uh, uh, you know, ventilation for things like sinks and uh, washing up and sanitizing and custodians and buses and all of those things. But ultimately, uh, social distancing is the key, and we need to have those classrooms smaller. And Mr. Ford's stubbornly sticking uh, to his uh, to his unsafe scheme. You know, the, the, obviously, the job of the opposition is to you know point out the shortcomings of a government, but it is a different thing when you're running the show. Uh, what would you have done differently in the last month that the Ford government hasn't done? Well, I mean, I think there's a number of pieces. I mean, certainly we I would have been working on this uh, uh, a lot sooner. Uh, I would have been prepared to have the conversation with school boards about what their needs are in terms of making uh, these uh, these decisions around getting the schools, uh, you know, getting kids back to school safely. I would have been making sure I was sourcing the spaces necessary or working with the boards to, uh, to, you know, source those alternative spaces as necessary, hiring the teachers and education workers and custodians and bus drivers, um, and, and being clear uh, about commitment to making the, safe, uh, the school return safe. But that is not what we've seen. And, and it's not good enough to simply you know, cross your fingers and hope for the best. I mean, if I was the premier, I would be stepping up and acting to make sure uh, that schools indeed were going to be safe for kids to return. One of the issues that uh, came up yesterday was the new advertisements from the provincial government, funded by the provincial government, about back to school. Doug Ford was asked about that. I want to play this for you. This is Doug Ford yesterday. Maybe, Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's so important to communicate with parents. You know, I'm not, I'm not into the politics that uh, the others uh, are into. I want to make sure that the message is communicated because uh, I hear, you know, media gets on here and I find it ironic. They'll, they'll get on and say, you know, the communication, communication, communication. People are confused, so on and so forth. Uh, it's critical that the parents uh, know. I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's not about uh, playing politics like the other, the other ones are doing. I, I believe in communicating to the parents uh, the teachers, and as well to the, the students. That is Doug Ford speaking Tuesday. Andrea Horvath is on the line. Andrea Horvath, are you playing politics? Oh, well, what I can say is I'm shocked that the Premier doesn't acknowledge what a mess this government has made in terms of confusion and communications. I mean, this is the Premier who, at the very beginning of COVID, told everybody to go and have a great time in March break. And the Premier that said, don't go to your cottage, but he went to his. The premier that said, don't invite your friends over or rather your, your adult children over for Mother's Day or Father's Day because it could be a risk. And then he did the very thing that he told everybody else not to do. Uh, parents have been confused for a long time. Even to this day, teachers don't know what their classrooms are going to look like um, because the government has not been communicating. So, so they suggest that these ads are somehow going to do the job uh, is just, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's going to take a lot more uh, than these, um, uh, these propaganda ads to actually 
uh, you know, give people the peace of mind they need uh, in terms of w- what they're going to do with their children uh, in just literally a couple weeks' time. And it's right down to the wire here. But but don't you accept, Andrea, that, you know, things have changed and continue to change, that the, the pandemic shifts and moves, and as a result, as the uh, Minister of Education is fond of saying, that the back-to-school plan has to be a quote-unquote living document. You know what? I, I think that it's pretty clear that we we can learn lessons from other jurisdictions that have been dealing with uh, COVID prior to us. Uh, I think it's been pretty clear for a long time uh, that social distancing was a key uh, to tamping down the virus. And look, these these folks stayed home with their families. They they stopped working. Uh, they were you know they were trying to educate their kids from home and work from home and take care of little ones from home uh, all the while. Uh, distancing, social distancing, wearing the masks, increasing the sanitation, uh, the hand washing and all of those things. So it's not rocket science uh, to realize that to successfully prevent the spread in schools, all of those measures needed to be replicated in the school system. And so uh, regardless of what Mr. Lecce, uh, you know, does in terms of how he's trying to dance around this, and regardless of the accusations that Mr. Ford's putting out there, uh, the bottom line is it was their job. Uh, and they, they didn't do it. Andrea Horvath is the leader of the Ontario NDP. Always great to have you on the program, Andrea. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Alan. Stay safe. Thank you. Well, the Premier is up as he always is, or almost always is, at 1 o'clock today, and the Minister of Education will be there, and obviously there are going to be questions about where is this money specifically going to go. The province did put out a press uh, press release, pardon me, uh, as the uh, Premier or the Prime Minister, I'll get it right, as the Prime Minister was speaking this morning, uh, basically outlining, well, here's some of our priorities, but how the money actually is going to break down, how it flows, how it gets out actually to the school boards and how quickly. And I think one of the questions that will have to be asked of the Minister of Education is what does this mean for that whole rainy day fund thing? Remember when, you know, there was much fanfare and the Minister of Education came out and said, surprise, you can spend the money you've already saved. And school board said, um, we've already, you know, we've already earmarked that money. We have that money set aside for things like fixing schools (laughs) that are crumbling. Like that money is already spoken for. So now where we have this new money from the federal government, and I'll break down those numbers for you again, $763 million out of a possible $2 billion that the feds are spreading far and wide right across the country in an attempt to say, hey, suburban voters, remember us? <laughs> Forget about that we thing. What? That was Bill Morneau, totally Bill Morneau. It was all Morneau's fault. He's gone. But now we here's money for schools. So uh, $763 million out of a possible $2 billion, and the first installment, $381 million. Coming right up, as I mentioned, Premier Doug Ford, not only Doug Ford, Oh, stay tuned for that. That's a, there's always some quips and some quotes in there. But I you know who's with them? <laughs> thank you. Thank thank you, Doug. But you know who's with him is uh, Dr. David Williams. And if you have had trouble sleeping lately, I recommend just getting yourself a full mitful 
of Dr. Williams. Uh, or if you like, if you're a kind of person that you like puzzles, you like word puzzles, and trying to figure out what something means, then I have at it because it's going to be good. All that, plus the chief coroner. Oh, my God, the coroner's here. I'm on to him like an 800-pound gorilla, and he's only a little guy. He's just a little guy, 800-pound gorillas. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch The Alan Carter Show weekdays starting at noon.